Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Desert Tones podcast. Uh, I guess Happy New Year. Technically, it's like the last day of January when you'll be hearing this, so it's not really an appropriate time to get New Yeared. I was New Yeared in March once. Really? No, but that's a I think it's happened bit. as late as February for me. Man, people who do that are out of their fucking minds. <laughs> like, a, <laughs> like an ant or something like that. that. <laughs> Uh oh uh for the sake of uh cons- for the sake of consistency uh I'm Jared and I'm joined by my two friends Dylan Joey um so it's a new year and it's the same us so we're going to be talking about uh gear <laughs> and uh other musically inclined things um you know we left off in 2023 I almost said 2012. Uh, we left off in uh, 2023 with talking about pedals, and uh, we plan to continue that series absolutely. But um, we'll probably do it um, next month or maybe the month after that. We thought it would be fun to start off a new year talking about uh, NAM, which is a trade show that happens in in um, Anaheim, California, every year, which is like a big deal for gear, and there's all kinds of new stuff attached with that but um prior to diving into that uh dylan and i had an interesting experience at the local music shop uh dylan you were on scene it was uh, the full story (laughs) yeah um i guess it was last tuesday right i don't remember (laughs) um and at some point recently uh jared and i went down to hubbard's and uh, we caught uh chris baker doing a a demo of the fender tone master pro unit and so that was really cool a little uh kind of set up there in the back of hubbard's and had a good little group of 10 15 people and and chris just kind of went through a lot of the features and then uh shows how he used it and yep. kind of pass the guitar around and let people tinker with it and set up a couple of patches and then kind of played it played it out and that was really cool it was uh more importantly you know i was just excited that hubbard's was doing an event like that and that was like a you know a, an engaging thing for like you know, all local musicians to attend and yeah. kind of talk to each other and stuff. And I've known Chris for a couple of years and definitely want, wish Joey could have been there, but glad that Jared got to meet him finally. And yeah, yeah. Kind of no, see a sure. little bit about what he was about. And it's a really, it was a cool unit. Um, and it does some things I didn't realize yeah. prior to that. But, um, yeah, Chris has, uh, become a good friend of mine and a great player and I had a really good time with it. Yeah. He is really, really, really good. Uh, it's super cool to hear him play. Um, I mean, I, I knew he was, he was good, but I didn't like, I didn't really know how good he was. Um, also super nice guy and, um, happy that I got the opportunity to talk with him and, um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, you know, for people who don't know the, uh, Tone Master Pro is, uh, Fender's first adventure into the uh, realm of, of amp sim and uh, multi-effects units um, similar to like an XFX uh, floor model or a Line 6 Helix uh, where you can assemble a patch um, with uh, various pedals, amp head, cabinet, uh, and then tweak it from there, basically. It's also got a looper built into it, which is something that Chris takes advantage of really well. Um, 
But the biggest deal with that thing, I think, is the visual uh, interface that it has, which is significantly better than any anyone else's that I've seen. Like, yeah. just it, it's just really intuitive and it's touchscreen. Um, the funny bit about it was that, you know, I think maybe there was one other guy that was about our age there, and everybody else was a little bit older. Yeah. Was older, and they had never seen anything like that, and they were like, thought that we were. We have finally, you know, gone into Star Trek uh, <laughs> territory. Like yeah. they acted like they were going to walk outside and see flying cars or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's cool. What are some other things that seemed unique about it that maybe some of the other stuff that we're used to? I mean, definitely the UI. Definitely like yeah, being able to like part. edit edit on the unit and like have a visual like when you put on tube screamer it pulls up a little tube screamer yeah or overdrive or whatever and then like the amp when you pick a Fender Deluxe or the EVH the ones that they have or I guess any of them like it looks like you know a Vox or a fifty one fifty or whatever and you can you know so people that have you know they do better by like actually seeing it it makes more sense instead of just reading the the name and the numbers on a screen yeah. So I think it like it's taking that element from the quad cortex and doing it even more so. Yeah. Also, it's got a lot of utility uh, built into it. There's a lot of stuff in it that, as as Dylan uh, said, we didn't know that it did. Um, the foot switches are all knobs, which is cool. I don't know if anybody else has done that. No, the quad is like that. Okay, yeah. Um, but it also has a secondary input where you could run another guitar through it or a bass or something, but um, Chris runs his vocals through it, right? Or he at least did for that demo, which I I know that you can do that on other units, but it seemed like it seemed like it was more intended like with that in mind. Yeah. Because like, it was like a, a, com- a combi jack or however you say it that can be an instrument cable or an XLR. Yeah. And for that demo, he was mm-hmm. running a chain with his guitar and then a chain with his vocal on it yeah. and then had it set up to when he was changing stuff, he was just affecting the guitar patch. Yeah. It, it had a completely independent chain from, from his uh, instrument path. So that was kind of, and it sounded really good. Man. Like for, like for vocal, which was really interesting. Um, and uh, I know that most other of these types of units have a looper in them but it just seemed like he had really kind of mastered um that yeah he was just like overdubbing on top of himself and i didn't even realize like how he was doing it yeah and And reversing and like cutting things to have tempo and and that was one thing that i really loved about the the uh line 6 m9 is that it those options were really kind of obvious there on that pedal and uh, that's not something that you really see advertised a lot, of, you know, is like, oh, not only can you overdub yourself three or four times, but you can also play it in reverse or slow it down or something like that. So like if you're, you know, trying to fill space or create a texture with sound, it's like a little bit easier to do that. And I loved the line six uh, for that. So hmm. it was cool that he took advantage of that, at least in the demo. Yeah. I didn't know that it could do that. Yeah, the other thing was he was uh, utilizing the tap tempo, and it mm. was like, was that what it was? Well, uh, he was, it's got a, he explained it like it's got a 
a algorithm inside of it that basically detects your tempo as you're playing and will uh, you can have like time-based effects um, try to match that that felt tempo so like Mm. um, he's playing and he had like a delay on there and he was saying like okay if I play this it will speed up after like half a bar or something. And if I play this, like it'll go back down again after half a bar. It just takes it a second to catch up to whatever you're doing. Um, I don't know how effective that would be like under normal circumstances, but it was cool to see it. Yeah. Like auto, auto tempo, smart tempo, <laughs> yeah, tempo assist, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But um, you know, there may be versions of that on other units, but that was cool to see it like that. I was like, that's, that's different. That definitely has a handful of things that are unique to it itself. Um, but yeah, it's, I think the only, the only thing about it, because pretty much all these units cost the same now, a Helix, an FM9, the Quad Cortex, and Tom Master Pro are pretty much all within a hundred bucks of each other. And so I think the only the only thing I have against it right now is that, you know, it's new, it's like Fender's first thing, and it's uh, you know, like missing some bass stuff and some other things. And I feel like if they would have, you know, come in at twelve or thirteen hundred bucks, that would have been like really good yeah, in the market really- at first, like, you know, their debut in that world. Yeah. Whereas like when you're spending that much money, it's like hard to not consider something that's been around for a while. Yeah. And had is like, you know, matured and more fully featured. But I mean, I think as I said to him at the thing, like, you know, within a year, they'll probably have done quite a bit and it'll probably be, you know, pretty, pretty well rounded. Yeah. I think, I, I don't know how long they've promised to deliver software updates on it, but, I do feel like it would have been really smart for them to kind of come in low on it. Uh, But like Fender has no desire or need to care about pricing. They just kind of do whatever they want. Like, uh, and I think they're hoping for, and I don't know if if they're getting this, but expecting uh, buy-in based on their brand being on it at all which is what we saw in the demo was like people that have never heard of modeling until fender did it yeah exactly so i don't i don't know how many that they'll i don't know how many they will sell i don't know how popular it's going to be but seems like a really cool unit but i have a hard time thinking that for the ui alone it's worth the the price really for what I do at least. Yeah. If yeah. I was Chris, then maybe I would have a different, well, obviously he owns one, so he yeah. felt like it was worth it, but yeah. he takes advantage of like every part of it. Mm-hmm. So it's different for him. Yeah. All right. Do we want, do we want to dive into Nam? What is Nam? <laughs> I don't know. Who, who is Nam? I've been, I've been <laughs> asking around. <laughs> is it the Super Bowl? It's one of them. <laughs> We're going to have another. Uh, so, um, North American Music. Uh, what does it stand for? North American Music Merchants. 
Oh, no, wait, no. No, no, no. National Association of Music Merchants. God, I got that wrong three times. I mean, it is in North America. Yeah. Uh, Only North Americans are allowed. Uh, (laughs) It's a very racist trade show. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, But uh, so, yeah, it's a for people who who aren't aware. I have a hard time imagining that if you've made it here, you don't know what NAM is. But um, uh, it's it's a global trade show not specific to North America, even though it does happen in California, um, where basically uh, music brands from all over the all over the world show up and show off new gear, basically. Mm. Uh, so everything ranging from instruments, pedals, and, and uh, um, amplifiers to software, synths, uh, like DJ stuff, I'm sure there's a bunch of things that happen there that because of just like the circles that we're in, mm-hmm. we have no idea about any of it. Yeah. I've never been. Yeah. Um, my brother went. Shout out to Brandon. Um, oh, that's cool. Jameson's been. Yeah. Jameson's been. So, yeah, I'm sure that that is a lot to take in. I think it's like a three-day event. Maybe maybe longer than that. I think it's like three or four days, yeah. No, yeah. no, no. But uh, so yeah. Um, and they do one. Do they do two a year or just the one? I feel like there's one in the fall sometimes too. I think yeah, there's a, a see, summer? summer, winter, and I don't I don't know about a third, but no, I just know the two. Yeah. So, but the one in January is the big one. Yeah. And the, uh, usually when all the brands roll out their new offerings for the year. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the summer one is not as, as, as popular, I don't think. Um, but, um, usually by that point, Ibanez, at least I know for sure, I'm sure that other brands do this too, but I keep pretty close watch on Ibanez. They announce their lineup for the year, like really early Mm -hmm. in the year. And then they take everything there and show it off. But like, I knew what they were putting out prior to to the to them unveiling it so to speak um but uh uh you don't really get hands-on kind of videos or like content related to to that stuff until until the show Hmm. um so it's always cool to uh you know the things you've seen photos of it's cool to see it um i think that just Speaking for me personally, um, there was a few things that I thought were good um, and a few things I thought were interesting, but I'm curious as to what you guys thought. Yeah, I mean, we kind of made a little running list here of like a few highlights. Um, Ones that stuck out to me, um, I did see some of the stuff from Ibanez. Uh, the new some of the new bases are really cool, and then uh, some of the new uh, AZ models are really cool as well. Um, I I am really interested in Schecter over the last few years, as we've yeah. said a couple of times. They've been doing a lot of really cool stuff and like really kind of rebranded almost by like some of the artists they brought on and doing more contemporary models and stuff that is not like crazy with skulls on it <laughs> and stuff. Um, which when we were in high school, that was very much, yeah. If you wanted to, that to be part of your image, you would 
probably play a Schecter guitar, but they're doing a lot of cool stuff now. Um, a musician that we've all followed for a long time, Aaron Marshall, has signed on with them, I guess yep. probably a couple of years now. But, yeah, it's been a while. And, and it was last year that they put out the Diamond Series uh, artist model, which is the Indonesian-made, uh, more you know accessible one. And then um, they, they're not for sale yet, but he was showing off his USA production version which is really cool um and talking about some of the specs on that and then i think prior to nam they had released that that keith marrow they one. put up a photo of it i know i haven't been able to find like a like a spec sheet of it yeah i i mean i not long ago they did the legacy yeah version of his too so i don't know if it's a part of that or its own thing but it's in that world but it was just kind of like a what would you call that finish? Just uh, aggressive green or something like that. I can't Ocean. remember. Ocean. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's some like like multiple like ombre burst kind of you know translucent from green to bluish kind of color. Um, it's got it like lizard a lizard burst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's right, lizard burst. Mm-hmm. It's got a seven piece neck in it. Is that right? I think maybe. You sent me a photo of it, and I counted it out. And oh, I was yeah. Like, yeah, I think so. I think yeah, so. well, actually, maybe, maybe I've got a record of it. Um, uh, but, um, you know, he, he was one of the first ones to really be a part of that new generation of Schechter artists, I think, because they had already had Jeff Loomis, um, and, like, he, did, he didn't, like, necessarily appeal to, like, people like, us um but uh um you know when he came on it was like uh oh okay this is something to kind of pay attention to and then the specs of his stuff uh were not you know exactly what we were interested in like it it had uh yeah okay so it's got a nine piece neck i found it um swamp ash body poplar burl top Nine piece uh, wingay maple and purple heart neck with two carbon fiber rods. Uh, it's got a set of uh, Lundgren M7s in it. Yeah, I don't know what pickups he was using before, but I know that he switched to Lundgrens. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know if it was like a signature, signature set, but he had uh, Fishman's for a while. Yeah, yeah. Like one of the first set that had like the passive look to them instead yeah. of the the bars yeah the active ones yeah lagoon fade lagoon is the fade. and it's the km7 mark three so maybe i was just not not looking closely enough but um yeah i don't know i mean as far as like interesting looking instrument i guess that that kind of is is there yeah. it's it's not one that i would buy the the Aaron Marshall one is something I, I would consider buying. I think it looks so slick, and the tuning heads on it are so cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. They're like, they're just like round. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but I have a, a friend here in town, Jonathan Maynez, and he's a I don't know what exactly, but he's some level of of endorsement working relationship with Schecter, and he's played uh, the Nick Johnson models for a few years now the strats and tellies and stuff and i think nick was another one that coming on to that 
that the roster like changed the image of it and stuff and like made it more for you know targeting that kind of more classic look and demographic of player yeah and definitely like over the last couple of years definitely changed my viewing of the company a lot and i definitely see myself wanting to try more stuff and possibly own something by them yeah sinister gates yeah that used was to our, have a, a sig that was our first or probably still does i don't know yeah i'm sure he does there's also the other Schecter guitar that neither of you mentioned from Nam yet. What is it? The like controversial one, or like the no, the Machine Gun Kelly Razor one, the Razor Blade one. Oh, uh, somebody made like a joke about it, but I didn't know that it was a real thing. Yeah, oh yeah, they had it there. Uh, I'm gonna look up a picture of it. Oh my God! This is offensive to the eyes of man and yeah. God. <laughs> People are really upset about that, but not Schecter because they're probably making a lot of money off of it. Fifteen hundred bucks. Buy now. You could almost you could almost almost buy yourself a Tone Master Pro for yeah, that price. Look at that. So, do you want to be a complete dill hole and own a machine gun <laughs> Kelly? Uh, uh, Instrument, or do you want to uh, come up short on a Fender Tone Master Pro? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that guitar definitely uh, got the internet pretty heated. Um, I follow the Instagram account Chibson. Oh they yeah, they yeah. always do a bunch of funny things. That looks like it could be a Chibson guitar. To be honest. yeah, it's like brought to life. Yeah, Chibson did one, and it was like it was like making fun of fan frets. Uh-huh. You <laughs> and, sent it to me, right? Yeah, and it was just like, does it and the question at the bottom was like, does it al al diente? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to ban you from the show. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you're out of here, kid. Um But uh you also the first thing you put on here was the dark glass amp and MIDI switch, which I did not see. So you wanna tell me about that? Uh, I don't want to tell you about it and I won't. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, no, so dark glass, um, interestingly enough, they finally put out combo amps, which I, I feel like that is a, that makes sense, right? They, they have a series of amps now that come in a, in a wide array of, of wattages, um, for various like, you know, sizes, but, um it makes and then they've you know have been doing caps for quite a while so i guess it only makes sense that they would combine them um and it, they played it pretty safe right so they've they've already got a formula for uh you know the amps that sell well and they've already got cab configs that that they know and like so um they did a version of their infinity uh uh Microtubes pedal and no wait infinity isn't uh microtubes that's that's separate and then they did a microtubes uh version and then it comes in a 210 config and a a112 config um so i own a b7k ultra which is uh one of the original pedals that they put out um at least that style of pedal the Infinity is is a newer one that I'm not totally familiar with. I know it has that like touch uh, technology that they use on the pedal itself. 
So it looks like the Infinity use is uh, it contains um, a B3K overdrive, uh, um, a vintage overdrive, and the X, which is a like a more modern sounding uh, OD, and then it's got uh, multi-band compression in it, which is really interesting. So, but the the cabs or the combo amps basically just have these have these uh, have these sets built into them and then they bring that 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 unique like it's not like a it's not like a fader it's like a touch screen fader kind of thing um on the top of it to like control eq and that kind of thing and then alongside it they released um a midi foot switch uh which they've had the the great thing about that switch is like it's kind of like an apple uh product where it is it it does basically that one thing and it does it while like you know being small and compact and like looking really good and like sleek Hmm. um and having owned you know their products for quite a while i know that they're they're made well but like they put out a pedal or a, a switch like a long time ago that um the super intelligent foot switch that mm-hmm. own but that it's it's um so smart that it only works with their stuff so like it doesn't actually control <laughs> anything else um, it is pretty smart it's it, too yeah. smart for anything for them. yeah it's you know it's not going to touch your dumbass stuff um but so now they finally put out uh a generic midi switch which you know who who cares there's a thousand of those right but um I think what draws people in is not only will it do all of the things that the other super intelligent one did. Um, mm-hmm. It has the special compatibility with, with their stuff, but it's also just a generic uh, pity switch. It's, 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 it's got five, um, it's got five stomps on it and then you can bank up and down with it, but it's just incredibly little. It's thin it's got a low profile. It's a kind of a silver color, like almost the color of your silver sky or the, actually it's pretty close to the titanium color on the new iPhones, which is oddly interesting, but, um, it, and you know, that's it. Like it's, it, it's just a switch, but, um, I think the appeal, at least for me, I, I'm not going to buy one, but if I was the appeal for me is the size right? Like you can put it on the bottom of a pedal board, like of a 24 inch board and have a, still have a crap load of room for everything else up on top of it or something like that. So it's like really compact, which is nice. Yeah. Um, Sweet. Yeah. I don't know. Everything that they make looks, looks good. Yeah. Like pretty modern, sleek, yeah. minimal. Well, you know, it's, you know, even though they're technically independent, them and Neural are cut from the same cloth, right? So everything that Neural puts out has a very distinct aesthetic to it. Like it's very bespoke looking, yeah. um, which they only do plugins and then one hard- hardware unit now, but the software UIs are always very, you know, articulate and detailed and have flavors to them that portray the artist that they're, trying to represent you know no 
Uh, I did like that. Uh, through Jackson audio, full tone is has decided to come back. They that the the main guy I can't remember his name, but he had like basically called it. Um, I want to say a year ish ago, maybe a year and a half ago, where he was just gonna stop production for pedals for some sort of reason. But um, at Nam, they had a booth and in collaboration with not Jackson as in the guitar company, but just this place called just a company called Jackson audio that does other stuff that I don't know anything about. Um, they basically revitalized the brand. It's still going to be full tone audio, but uh, now they're going to, you know, make or continue making the full tone pedals and work on some other pedals. But that was exciting because I was not looking forward to getting an OCD at like insane prices. Um, not that they'd been that high recently, but like back whenever that first got announced that he wasn't going to do any more yeah. uh, production, like for a while there was this spike on the used market and reverb and stuff for the OCD specifically and all the different versions. But that was exciting to see that like there you're going, he's going to continue to make stuff and has like a team now that um, will aid him in that. So that was something exciting to see. Um, besides that, the vh mini from diesel was cool that's like a 20 huh. watt um like vh4 vh2 i think that's just two channels um that's like a mini head style thing uh it's 20 watts but i don't know if it's like the i would i would like if i mean there's no specs on it yet to my knowledge but i would like if it was like uh like prs mt15 style where they use like the full-sized uh power tubes in it but mm. Um, I would guess they're probably like 6v6 or something like that or EL84 or something like that. But it looks really cool. It's got like some of the like features that are becoming standard now with like USB and stuff on it. And I don't know. It might have MIDI maybe, but it just looks super cool. Uh, it has a recording out, headphone out. Uh, yeah, it does have MIDI. Um, so it's like a fairly capable little little amp. But um, yeah, it looks just like a a VH2, but smaller. Um, I'm sure it's probably still gonna be like two grand or more. But yeah, I uh, mean, diesel stuff is a little out of reach for for me, but it sure does look really cool. And, and this maybe is a step in the more accessible yeah. direction. Yeah, it's it's a cool little mini guy. Um, what else? I didn't see too much else. I mean, I'm I am curious as to like what the neural stuff is supposed to be. Like, maybe it was mentioned there. Like, did they say anything more about what? Uh, apparently, or at, at least part of the booth was just a giant sign or, or physical letters and just said "soon" on it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't was, really know more than that. Yeah, honestly. I, I don't think a whole lot of people do other than people that are working with the company, but, um, yeah, that could be a lot of things. It could be a, a quad cortex light of some sort. It could be some kind of rack mounted unit. It could be just further like plug-in integration with the hardware. Yeah. Um, but yeah, neural is an interesting company. They've definitely know how to hype things up yeah. <laughs> and drag things out. I'm sure that like, you know, the plug-in compatibility ended up being like a much bigger project or something than they had initially realized, or there'd been more like 
hangups along the way. But it seems like a rack-mounted version is probably something that a lot of touring artists would prefer instead of having it sitting on the drawers and stuff just so it just fits in with the rest of a system cleaner. But I know that, you know, the way that the current unit is, you know, that's very intentional and is like part of the experience is that it's a foot controller and that you can use the knobs uh, to manipulate it like that instead of being something up up on a rack and then having an additional foot switch to control it. Um, but yeah, I wonder if we'll actually hear about it this year. <laughs> yeah. it, could, it could really take a long time, but um, I'm yeah. doing a little bit of digging here trying to figure out because I just saw the picture, right? That was, and it wasn't like it was, it was their booth and it was known or like, you know, it's a trade show, right? So people reserve spaces for, for booths and like Ibanez like takes out a whole corner. So they have like a, uh, like a brand experience for you to go in there and play, you know, they have a bass section and a guitar section and it's huge and they've got an amp set up and you can sit down and play and, you know, they've got TVs in there and all kinds of stuff. Like it's a very, so like you, you have to pay for booth space. So, um, they had a booth there. It was labeled as their booth and it said in, a, in, a, in their font because they have like a, a brand font in, in 3d letters. It just says soon. Right. So I'm looking on, on, on Reddit, which nobody should ever take too seriously. Uh, this guy is saying that allegedly there was a big shakeup in their presence at NAMM. Supposedly at the end of the day, they weren't able to set up their booth in the manner they intended. And since they paid for the space already, they just put up the soon display and went home. Um, uh, so they apparently are in the other people. Other people are saying that they had they they had a product in mind that they were going to demo and then it it wasn't ready for for hands on experience so they but they'd already paid for the booth space mm. so um um I don't know that's really interesting I think yeah I've seen the speculation that it's uh um it could be like a rack mounted thing or um, an updated version I don't think that I would be shocked if they did a V two because it seems like they've kind of like hard commit to the version one and they're still like actively updating it. Um, so it would, and they just pushed a pretty big update. So it seems like it would be interesting if they did something rack mounted or some people are hoping for, uh, like an interface or something like that, which would be pretty crazy. I, I don't know why they would do that since their entire presence is built on Sims. Right. So like doing modeling is like their, their thing. And so making a product that didn't kind of take advantage of that would, would be weird to me, but, um, and also like their shtick and dark glasses thing is they always post a silhouette of a product and just says soon. Mm-hmm. And then a day or two later, it'll say sooner, yeah. even sooner. <laughs> and then <laughs> finally it comes out. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think all three of us have used their, their plugins on and off and you know, that's been yeah, pretty big game changer. I guess they've started rolling them out. Like what did plenty and Nolly come out in like 2019? 
Oh, it's been longer than that, I think. Okay. I don't remember. Yeah, but some of the like the the Fortin stuff even earlier than that. So they've been around for a little while now, but um, definitely, I feel like personally, maybe I've highlighted more like some of the cons about the quad cortex, or yeah. just like you know because I haven't ever really gotten to play one to put hands on it and like make some tones and see how it works and all that. But, um, I hope that I can someday because it does again, have some really cool strengths and things that make it unique over, you know, fractal products. Like we're all pretty familiar with and some of the other stuff too. And it's got its own thing. And I think that again, as it, as they continue to refine it and figure stuff out and work out the bugs and stuff, it'll be like, you know, it already is, but you know, is a really, really powerful unit, a really strong choice for the, the the common man musician. Yeah, isn't the big deal with that? Like the form factor is is really easy to to carry around. It's it's like the same size as the as the FM three, if not a little bit smaller. Well, probably bigger than that. Probably a little bit smaller than the AX eight. Uh. I think. I think it'll probably fit in that that uh, rack, that uh, road case. Road case that I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I remember when it came out, they were like showing people like you can put it on your desk, and it'll talk to you, and then you can put you it can put it in your kid's backpack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take a bath with it. <laughs> put it in their backpack <laughs> and send them to school with it, and tell them it's an unidentified. <laughs> You can use soap and water on it. (laughs) (laughs) Bathe with it. (laughs) Joey, if you were going to buy a flagship modeler today, if you were in the market for something like that, since we're talking about all these ones, is where, which direction do you think that you would go in? Like a new one? Um, It's tough. I think the only real, like actual considerations are like Helix, Cortex, and Fractal stuff. But of those, I think I'm just I'm most familiar with the Fractal one, so I, I would probably like lean towards that. But I think the Line Six stuff is like really cool too, um, especially because they do have like the native plugin where you can take your same exact stuff and like use it on the computer and stuff. But I don't know if you had with any of those, maybe, maybe a fractal unit just cause I'm, I'm most familiar with that stuff. If, if there was like money was no concern yeah. for yeah. it, then just like a three or something. But if they, I mean, I was going to say that if a neural, like that would be like an item that I would hope would come out in 2024 would be like a rack mount neural, unit but i don't think that that's necessarily actually going to happen but uh that would be like a wasteless thing to like see for the new year mm-hmm. it's something like that but um yeah any of those three i think are probably all like really really sick i know that i wasn't huge on the helix stuff before but i've like messed with trials of the native plugin stuff before and um I like no more and more bands that use that now. I know Thrice uses that for like all their stuff that they do yeah. overseas mm-hmm. and, and in studio they use that a lot too and uh all the tones sound sick, so yeah, that is a 
a company that has, I feel like really reinvented itself too over the last decade from spider four combo amps to like being a serious competitive modeling offering that mm-hmm. is more than just the cheaper alternative. Like yeah. I feel like that was their thing is like, we do it all also for a little less, you know, but now it's like, actually this is serious. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a, a half-assed interpretation of a video that I saw on YouTube, but it was, you know, talking about, you know, line six was one of the first ones to do it like that, do an all in one unit. Yeah. Um, and they were just kind of trying to get their way into the market and find out where people are at on like, how much money do you want to spend on something like this? And they're like, you know, at the time, like the modeling tech was only at a certain point. So while it sounded pretty good, you know, on its own, right. Like, you know, if you're going to sit there and a B and stuff, you're like, yeah, it sounds like a pod. Yeah. You know? Um, but it was $400 or something. Yeah. And then it was like fractal created like a market for like, Oh, I'm going to spend two grand on this thing. Yeah. Whereas it's like the, the team at line six is capable of building something twice as powerful as the helix, you know, but it's like creating something that is, that is in a price point that is marketable, that people are going to want to spend their money on for and their we'll brand, meet, for their brand and we'll meet the, the needs of the consumers at the time. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, 20 years ago, people aren't going to spend two grand on some kind of modeling thing. Yeah. But now with fractal being a big part of it and then all the you know how far everything has come like people there's a huge market for that now yeah so while like in some ways like they're seen as like a cheaper option or or an alternative i think they're as capable as anyone else yeah no i definitely feel that way now i think that the helix has kind of proven that right that like it it has its own flavor to it compared to like the fractal or something but like it stands on its own just fine yeah Yeah. there's plenty of i don't like you couldn't really say that i think like about a lot of their earlier units and like we happen to like how the like the xt sounded uh, you know what i mean but there's a lot of people who were like this is not serious yeah you know but like that was a a a major part of our early collective experience was was the xt stuff yeah and the x3 stuff which you forgot that you own (laughs) yeah which but then i found a picture of it and some of it came back to me um so uh and that was also a unique instance because it had very distinctly on the front of it it was like you can plug in two instruments here or one instrument and one XLR or something like it mm-hmm. was it was right there in your face and i was like okay well like you just need one of these for you and your and your buddy or like you and and the other player in your band or something it was like kind of interesting and that was 10, 10 years ago man yeah. it's pretty wild i mean Back then, it seemed like, you know, the difference in, like, the, the sound of the, the units was, like, a lot farther apart than it is now, for sure. But, um, yeah, still, those early sounds, like, while probably a lot of people didn't care for them, like, you know, we are, we have a nostalgic factor of liking all the, a lot of the records that were done with those 
units. Um, but yeah, the Helix stuff is definitely um, continued to get even better. And I guess they're maybe the only one that, well, aside from Neural finally starting to implement the the plugin compatibility, the only one that has the whole desktop experience yeah, yeah, as well. Exactly. Fractal doesn't have that yet. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah, they always have an editor. They always have, or since the Helix stuff, they've had the yeah the native plugin and everything. So yeah, I like that a lot about it. I think it yeah, and then both other than Neural again have rack mount units, and I just I think they look sick. Uh, and they're I guess now all their flagship stuff, uh, or like the biggest stuff they have is like actually big. They're like three unit stuff. Like the three is mm-hmm. a three U the rack mount helix is a 3u um it'd be interesting to see if neural did that if they would still do a 3u or like a 2u like the other yeah old um fractal units were before the pods so some of the earlier pods but god 3u is huge that's a big (laughs) that's a big box that is a big box um but depending on how Neural might design a rack unit, rack unit, wanting to increase the real estate of the touch screen, they might want to make something bigger so you can get more out of it. Yeah, it's hard for me to to remember like the size of the screen because that would be the that would be like one of the things I would look at as far as like how would they size it up. I'm assuming it would fit. I'm looking at the rack here right now, and it would fit on just two units there, but I guess, I don't even know. Let me look at one of the rack mount units. Like, cause I think most all of them have knobs below or above the screen too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The helix one has like probably two U worth of screen real estate and then like a helix logo above it and then six or so knobs below it. So it probably would be something like that, but I'm sure it's just a pain to like, have invested so much into your floor unit and like it's all got it's like you said it's like its thing is turning the foot switches to be able to be the knobs and stuff so like you look a lot of the actual like physical components on like the fm or any of the like other floor models and a lot of those are the same hardware that's used on the rack mount units. so if that's the thing of even like the Tone Master Pro or the Quad, like they have to go and choose new hardware now for that stuff or like yeah. make it make sense on there, which is kind of different. Even if it's just buttons or um, like larger actual knobs like most of the units have. Um, so I'm sure it's just a pain to try to do, but yeah. that's what I would like to see. Yeah. Or or I'll put the weird option out there. It has like no controls on the front and you just control it off your phone or your tablet. I think that would be controversial, but really cool. Yeah. That might be a way down the line type thing. Yeah. I can see them doing something like that and being like, you know, this is it basically. But um, I feel like that's got to be what is eating up a lot of the space of those units, right? It cannot be the, like, it's actual compute. It's got to be the fact that it's, it needs so many IO, right? And then it has knobs and stuff. Because, I mean, they make, like, data center servers that are one unit that are infinitely more powerful than than 
and XFX is. So mm. it's got to be all the IO on the front of it. But like, um, I wouldn't exactly say that Fractal you has the most clever. This has kind of changed topic entirely here, but I just anyway, that's not really the point. Uh, like they they're not the best use of or they don't use their space very effectively. Like I I th- I've always felt like the interface on the front of their units and on the FM3 Turbo that I happily bought is confusing. Like it's not very intuitive, and you kind of have to get like learn their design language to to like easily navigate it whereas my experiences with seeing videos of the line 6 helix and then using the tone master pro seeing the, seeing uh the quad cortex at work like it's just much more kind of user friendly and intuitive and like like fractal uses like arrows and and like strange menu paging and that kind of thing that doesn't really make sense until you know okay there, there, there's like layers of menus on layers of other menus and you have to know where to go to navigate that whereas like on the Tomaster Pro it's just drag and drop mm-hmm. you know yeah as you had said like though a long time ago it's like the IO of everything is a big limitation until everything is Bluetooth, <laughs> you can just have your whole like live rig synced up. Yeah, you're gonna have to have room for all those cables, and that's a big part of it. Yeah, well, until we can figure out a way to to make a unified audio cable that produces the the quality that we're accustomed to, and that can be easily standardized across every product in the market, which is never going to happen. There's no incentive to do that. Yeah then we're still going to have have all these different things. So like I can't imagine that there's a real need now to have quarter inch you know uh TRS and T and just TR cables and XLR cables like you could probably pretty easily do that some other way, right? But that's just how things are. Yeah. So um for listeners, I do want to mention that uh, this podcast is being brought to you by my Firewire, old uh, Focusrite Sapphire Firewire interface connected to a USB Type-B yeah. dongle connected to a Type-C connector, which is connected to my computer. So, yeah, so you've got like three layers of adapters there. So I've got three, three layers. So that's wild. yeah when we were at hubbard's it was like there's part of me that wants to turn it into a conversation about which modeler is the best and why and why not i was trying to be like no we're just here to learn about this thing yeah you know but it is interesting because i think they're all cool and they all do different things it's interesting just comparing them yeah yeah no i i really had fun playing with it I set up a patch that I thought was fit my ambient tastes within about 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was pretty, pretty canned, but it sounded cool. Yeah. Uh, and Joey, they had the two, a stereo set of the FRFRs on the stage, and then they had it lined out to just regular PA speakers in the back. So it was like a surround. 
hmm, experience okay. in there. So it was pretty cool too. Yeah. It is cool. Yeah. I wish uh, they would have either. I would have brought one of my like metal guitars or they had something there to like really mess with that kind of a thing. Cause I think that's what Chris was wanting us to do, but yeah, like, you know, hard to do that on something that's not set up for that. But anyway, on a, on a telecaster. Are you telling me that you couldn't play, uh, Alcatraz on a Fender Highwayman. Are you just some kind of chicken shit? <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing on our little list here that was interesting was the Strandberg Essential model. Yeah, I was just re-looking at that. Yeah, so uh, Strandberg guitars have been around for quite a while now. Um, they primarily they they only do headless models and very um, ergonomically aware. Uh, they a big part of their thing is the endure neck, which uh, it, it's kind of is designed in a way to m- make sure that you're always using proper posture um, when you're fretting. And it's also just like helpful for people that have injuries that uh, is difficult for them to play certain guitars, especially or like, you know, uh, wear a heavy guitar on stage. They're, they're always really light. Yeah. Um, it's very modern, very forward thinking and very like practical in a lot of ways too. But yeah. if you're a Les Paul guy, you're probably not going to like it, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a lot of players that we like in the, you know, the prog world and just, you know, I mean, they've branched out a lot, but you know, a lot yeah. of players that we like use them. Um, and they came out with the essential model, which is a, a very stripped back version at a really, at a, I guess, the lowest price point they've done one. Yeah, it's a thousand dollars. Yeah, they'll they'll say under a thousand dollars, but it's nine ninety nine ninety nine, so it's a thousand dollars. Yeah. So, but the thing about that one is, well, most of them have uh, fan frets. Which, yeah, yeah, uh, these don't. Yeah, this one is the first one that does not. Um, so that's interesting, but it does have the endure neck and I think some different hardware has a different bridge and stuff on it too. Yeah. It's made out of a different wood than mahogany too. Uh, the body is, yeah. um, which, you know, I think, I think everything else that they make is mahogany, um, or at least every boat in that they make, mm-hmm. uh, I think we've all had pretty limited experience with Strandberg getting to play them in the shop or anything. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I've only played one on like one occasion. Yeah. Was that Drusif's? Yeah, it was Drew's. The yeah. eight string. Um, Shout out to Drusif. I can't remember what series it was. The one that had the pick guard. Uh, there was one with the pick guard. It was I think it was like string. the Bowden Classic 8. Yeah, it's like a classic, I think. Yeah. His was all black, remember? Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I mean, I think the the aim here is right. We want to bring these to people that would never pay for the full price model. Mm-hmm. I, I think that if I was going to buy one, I would probably just shell for the full for the full version. But these seem cool. Um, obviously, the the uh, the uh, initial press of them has been positive because they're not really out yet. They've just been like sending them to people that you know will uh review them and they've been pretty favorable so far um but i you know it it would be cool to see more of those out in in the wild yeah at 
at any price point, even if I would not buy an essential, probably. Unless it came out that for the price, this was like an unbelievable value. Like, you know, then sure. But yeah, it's, uh, unless you have firsthand experience with stuff, it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, just go solely based off what people post on the internet about stuff as we well know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know there's, you know, I've definitely read a fair share of QC stuff about Strandberg in the past, but, um, I, it's not good. It's just sometimes it's like, you know, people will have, you know, fret problems on their guitar that they bought the new one and stuff like that. But, um, I think Strandberger is really cool. One of my bucket list guitars is a Pliny signature model. Yeah. Pliny's become one of my favorite guitar players. And, uh, yeah. And I, I'm sure for like live performance, it's super convenient to have something that's like compact, very light and is, uh, taking your, you know, your, uh, posture into consideration and stuff too. I know that there's, I've read stuff about like older players that, you know, have arthritis and have a hard time playing their, you know, their guitars and then they get a Strandberg and they're like able to yeah, keep finally going. Yeah, do it again. Do it, do it again. So like, that's super cool. Yeah. Definitely very forward thinking. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a variety of other, th- of other things that we have on our list. And none of them are really jumping out to me as like things that maybe warrant a ton of detail. Um, Fender also put out a MIDI switch uh, called the Switchboard. It looks cool. It's it's a smart switch. So there you have it. Is that all it is? Is MIDI? No, it does more than that. Um, it uh, it controls a few other things too. Oh, it's got a looper in it too. Like a switch looper or like a like a looper like you record yourself. Like a switch looper. Oh, sick. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so it's got uh Oh, so this does a similar thing as the Tomaster Pro does actually looking at the back of it. It's got uh it's got an a, a series of of effects loops like a like channel one through five here uh that you can drop pedals into and then oh, you yeah. can so like move them a, around a switcher yeah. yeah so uh that's that's kind of cool and then it also has midi on it um and uh um expression pedal or extension pedal outs so you can hook up five different pedals to it which is pretty sweet actually it looks it looks really cool. Like kind of a I don't know like what that color would be. If it's if it's gold or if it's really more like a That's a cool color. Yeah. It's cool. I think this kind of thing is cool for the same reason like the Tone Master is. Like it's it'll be people's introduction to like switch loopers uh like this uh in a way that's like very user friendly or at least appears to be and it has Fender's name on it. So, yeah. I mean, Boss has got switch loopers and stuff too, but uh, it's just like. Not as popular. Yeah, one more, um, which people do use, but one from Fender, which especially look, looks pretty cool like this. Um, 
pretty sweet. It's interesting. So many of these I've seen only have MIDI out on them. I know. Yeah. Um, Isn't yeah. That's that's really weird. Yeah. I wonder if it's just super difficult to get the MIDI in, but that would be if I got a looper like this. I would probably be looking for like the MIDI in. Not that I would want to use it all the time, but like the idea of just like buying it and then like. For someone that was going to use it that way, like being able to like do the the um, modeler rack mount or quad cortex thing, where you just send MIDI messages to your unit, switching things, and then yeah. you can still have the manual control there is like cool. So I guess this can't do that, but it's still a pretty cool unit. Yeah, definitely uh, reminds me of the obviously of the m3 you know being able to easily move stuff around like that yeah um man it's got 500 uh or yeah 500 settings that you can save to it imagine having 500 pedal configs that were unique (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's all sit here and think about it together in order <laughs> and the combinations of those determines your class <laughs> <laughs> see the fact is the options are endless <laughs> um, kind of one maybe one of the last two things that I, I wanted to talk about uh uh Casey sent me the uh article about the uh Yamaha Pacifica which if people know about that guitar it's been like a cheap guitar for a very long time it's a, a super strat style they've put out a premium version of it that's over $2000 which like really shocked people uh looks cool uh believe it's HSH config yeah i think they came out with like hss they came out with like a middle of the road option yeah that's like 1300 bucks and they came out with with the pro yeah the pro one yeah yeah similar to what they did with the rev star series a couple years back yeah but looks really slick uh i i don't have a ton more to say about that um oh there was something interesting about the pickups Uh, they're unique to Yamaha. Maybe that wasn't it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the uh, pickups were developed with, like, in a partnership with Neve, with uh, mm-hmm. Rupert Neve. So um, that's really interesting. Like, that. That makes me a little more in, intrigued, but not only the pro has that. The middle of the road one and the one up above it does. So the the are the pro and the and the one below it do. Yeah. Um, standard plus do. So yeah. uh, looks a lot like a Charvel to me, or like any other Super Strat HSS kind yeah. of. But it it the colors that they chose remind me a lot of, of Charvel. Yeah, I think. I'm sure it's like, I remember watching a video about the Rev Star. Uh, I'm talking about like 
you know, it's a sick guitar and Yamaha makes good instruments, you know, but it's just like their marketing and their image and stuff. Like sometimes, uh, it, it kind of makes it hard to, for someone wanting to spend a lot of money to consider spending it on something like that. While I'm sure it's great, you know, it's not as sexy as an Ibanez yeah. or something else, you know, just because like we do associate that brand with quality, but you know, we kind of think of it like a good bang for the buck lower option and not like I'm ready to drop $2,500 on something. And so I feel like it's kind of hard for them getting into that, into that space, the premium market. Yeah. But I'm sure like, you know, if I got to play one bit, this is really well put together. Yeah. Well, there's those memes, right. That are like, you go into a store and you're like, I need a really nice piano. Okay. Here's a Yamaha. It's like, Oh, I, I also need a guitar. Oh, great. Here's a Yamaha. I need a dirt bike. Yeah, I need a dirt bike. You're never going to believe this. <laughs> Here is also a Yamaha. Like, uh, you know, so they, they make a lot of different stuff. Um, but I I know them for synths and for uh, for acoustics. So uh, I would be really interested to play this thing. Yeah, I would definitely like to try one. And then finally, I've been as... At least for me, I don't, I don't know if you guys have anything else, but for me, I've been just put out a, a, like a whole crap load of stuff. Um, but uh, the most important one to me that looked the most interesting was um, they started doing something called Bass Workshop. Uh, I think they they've done it for a few years now, but it's like concept concept instruments that are not like quite like the prestige level, but they're not like the entry level either. So they're kind of in the middle and they have like unique features that are, are not, you know, on their, on their main series of, of bases. Like it's not something that they update every year. They just try it out. Dingler played one that teal one that he, he played was a, a, uh, pace workshop, um, a model that they put out a few, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So, and their, their headless bases are in this line. Usually um, interesting configurations are usually in this, but the one that they put out that interested me this year was the short scale. So it's just a headless base. That's 30 inch scale. Um, it's not fan fret. Uh, so it's just, I don't know. It just looks unique to me it's got uh big splits in it um which i really like how they sound um a pretty finish uh out of all the things that they launched this year uh as far as bases go this is one of the more interesting ones to me that's like less than two thousand dollars you said it's a 30 inch scale yeah, I think it is. Is it not? I don't know. I just it's interesting that they would do yeah. that short. It's a 30-inch scale. Nice. Uh 30-inch scale uh 9-piece neck. There's that 9-piece neck again. Mm-hmm. Uh panga panga walnut uh and then graphite rods um the top is a poplar burl 
the and then the the back and the body are uh lightweight african mahogany uh panga panga fretboard so pretty interesting let me see I oh. remember a couple of years ago that they had put out like, EHB. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yep. EHB had, is the series. Yeah. They'd done, um, it was a, a short scale headless base like you're talking about, but they did it like a pink color. And I remember liking that one. That was like from four or five years ago. Oh. oh, that sounds like it's a lot like this then. Yeah. And yeah, I just yeah. missed it. But I do, I am interested in short scale bases. I've been eyeing a, Fender JMJ Mustang for some time now. Yeah. I think that that's a really cool sound. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any kind of like headless instrument is just so different from what any of us have in our collection right now. So I, that's kind of intriguing. Yeah. I kind of like the head. I don't know. But I can see myself eventually owning something that is headless. Yeah. So another area that we wanted to touch on was you know it's kind of looking forward in this year and kind of gear that's on our radar stuff we're thinking about which also kind of collides with some of the new releases uh, at nam i know for me this year i'm wanting to upgrade my uh floor modeler that i perform with i've been on a fractal ax8 for uh several years now <laughs> <laughs> and it served me very well but um i definitely like to upgrade to the new uh, the new generation um was thinking about getting an FM3 like Jared has, um, but as I've started messing with looping and stuff more and also just thinking just like kind of future-proofing myself, I've kind of been thinking more about uh, the FM9, which is like the full size full size floor floorboard unit, um, which I actually I was reading or just poking around on the Fractal Forum the other day, and the FM9 is out of stock. So, uh, they're, so they're thinking they're going to do the Turbo Mark II, whatever. Yeah. So, um I can see myself trying to get in, get into one of those later in the year. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the main thing for me this year that I, I want to focus on upgrading. Joey, what do you got? Um, I probably just want to like finish up some projects or plans for like different instruments or whatever, whether that's, um, upgrading the baritone more or um i would like to start collecting pieces to put together for like an actual like regular scale telecaster Uh, eventually too um more stuff for the pedal board you know tightening that up so that it's actually like how i always like plan it out to want it to be or just like you know regular maintenance stuff getting um, like new tubes for all my amps going to and doing that so that they're all squared away. Something that like it's pretty easy to forget to do or just like put on the back burner for a while. Um, besides that, I'm not I'm not sure of too many other things. Um, right away, I mean, there's definitely like there's always pedals and like trying to score a deal on something that. I have my reverb feed is is always up there, but I would say just mainly just like going through and like finishing up some of the upgrades I want to do on each of my guitars. Uh, I've just kind of been slow to do, especially like during like the the holiday season. Yeah. Um, 
I just put a lot of that on the back burner for a while. So picking that back up, probably some of it. Yeah, I would really like to see the uh, other baritone upgraded all the way. That would yeah. be really cool. Yeah. Or for you to assemble a, a telly. Yeah. That would be really cool too. Um, it's like the only other guitar that I think that like I would consider getting right now or like adding in addition to would be having a, a regular scope telly again. Uh, would you get the parts from Warmoth? Um, maybe like the body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or it depends. I don't know. I mean, I could maybe do all of it or like the neck and the body from there. Um, I like sketched out stuff from them before too. So, um, yeah, it depends on what I can find. I mean, like I've gotten, I've seen like good deals and just regular necks and stuff. And I just want like a blonde Telecaster with a white pick guard or like a, even an off white pick guard with like a, a rosewood board and a maple neck. So nothing too crazy. Um, but yeah, I would probably consider some warmest stuff to start, especially if you can get like chambered bodies and all that, which is stuff that I like. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. That would be so much fun to do. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that I really care about getting this year, at least is, uh, I would like to get the matching cab for the Ampeg SVT V4. Uh, Casey has one. Uh, he has the SVT 410 HLF. They make a slightly upgraded version of it that has got custom voiced eminent speakers in it. That's the same model, but it's just called the Heritage Series. Um, either either of those is cool. I would probably like to to have the Heritage one if I could get a, like a good deal on it. Uh, 410 is like probably. I I definitely don't need that size. Like that's, I, I mean, you know, who am I trying to blow away here? Myself, me, uh, and uh, um, but like it's just, you know, it's a cool cab. I've I've heard it and I've played through it, so I know I like it. Um, and yeah, but that is that that that's really more of a of a would be cool to have, not like something that I'm actively kind of pursuing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of went hard last year. I'll probably try to reel it in. And there's like trips planned and that kind of stuff this year. That'll probably offset some of that. So, yeah. Well, the right deal for that cab will reveal itself at the right time. Ants. <laughs> fortuitous <laughs> fortuitous thoughts <laughs> um but yeah i think uh that's a positive kickoff to our year in gear as you said yeah um probably uh, next month we'll kind of continue our uh our pedal discussion as we've been doing but uh it was fun to reflect on nam and kind of think about what's uh speculate on what's going to happen this year what the companies and are going to roll out and kind of where where the market is and kind of where musicians are at right now it's interesting stuff to think about yeah this really felt like a news episode kind of like it felt like we were kind of like reporting on something i do wonder because i actually forgot during some of it i do wonder if um we'll get new models for stuff like like 
an AC30 because we haven't got a new AC30 since the C2 line forever ago. So that's just one more thing I would add and throw in there. It's like, oh, that's, that's interesting. an interesting one. Like I haven't seen them revamp that line, like the core line of AC30s in a while. So that's something I would be on the lookout for too, as far as like a wish list to see. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Actually, swap mine out for that. I like that <laughs> idea a lot. That's really cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, this really felt like we were like on on the case, basically. Um, but yeah, with that, I think we just we just want to thank everybody who has stuck it out for this long. It's been over a year now, so Man. thank you so much for hanging out with us and. Uh, listening to to me ramble on for all these long hours yeah. i'm really sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's pretty wild we're already starting on our second year it doesn't feel like it's been that long no it really doesn't but it I, really doesn't i look forward to it every month and and i learn something new every time and I'll always have a good time yeah actually there's one more thing i want to say is i would really like to this year have guests like have hubbard on you know, or maybe someday Jameson will appear or something like that. Like that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, like to do that finally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, somebody asked me if we were going to have Hubbard on and I was like, no, we, we would really enjoy that, but we haven't like pulled him aside or anything. So, yeah. but that would be cool to like hear him talk about, playing in ghetto blaster (laughs) and learning the the history of the store and stuff. Yeah. And him coming up and everything and like just his interest, like, you know, he's such a nice guy and is a really good drummer and has a lot of great stories. Yeah. He's got a lot of great stories. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely would like to see some more of that this year too. Yeah. There's a lot of people who would be fun to have and we could like phone it in or something too. Yeah. Cool. Definitely a lot of, a lot of cool possibilities for this year as we continue to uh, figure this whole podcasting thing out. But yeah. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and please, please reach out with uh, thoughts or concerns or suggestions <laughs> yeah. that you might have ideas. Uh, yeah. Well, that's it from us. Thank you guys. Thank you. Take care guys. Hasta luego.